Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the Century Leadership Podcast. We are a culture of resources and relationships for spiritual leaders. My name is Jordan Matthew Ward, and today we have a very, very special treat for you guys. So back during the Century Leadership Conference in April of 2017, our director, Darren Pilcher, got to sit down on stage with Pastor Jim Cimbala to ask him some very important and thought-provoking questions within the realm of spiritual leadership. Pastor Jim and his family are located up in Brooklyn, New York, where he is the head pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. He's been pastoring since 1971, when Brooklyn Tabernacle started as a church of less than 30 people, which has now grown to over 16,000. Pastor Symbol has also written numerous amazing books, most of which are on the topic of Christian living. Now, if this is your first time tuning in with us, you may be asking yourself, what is Century Leadership all about? Century Leadership was born in 2013 with a simple but bold vision. Build leaders for the next 100 years. We do this by creating a culture of resources and relationships that encourage and equip spiritual leaders to lead courageously. A Century Leader is committed to grow, a Century Leader is committed to create, and a Century Leader is committed to invest. After listening to this conversation, I think Pastor Jim's talk is my new favorite. And I think that because he has a very powerful approach to sticking to the basics of ministry and letting God do the hard stuff. My favorite part of this conversation is when Jim started emphasizing the simple truth that we have to get back in tune with the Holy Spirit. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this so that you can hear the things that Jim Simbola had to share with us. Pastor, what a joy to have you with us and uh, to spend a little time with us today. Great to be here. Good morning, everybody. We want to hear about the story of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Take us back to the early 1970s up to this point and what God has truly done. The, the, the story is never, never tiring to us. Uh, it's a true inspiration. Well, as you mentioned, uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. My dad started drinking when I was um, about 12 years old and was an alcoholic, full-blown, lost his job for about 22 years. So my house was a hellish place to be a lot of times. Couldn't bring friends there uh, because he got vulgar, nasty, aggressive when he drank. That put me out in the streets and the playgrounds, so basketball was my love. I became an all-city basketball player at Erasmus Hall High School, which was the largest high school in America then, 7,800 students. And... Um, Barbara Streisand went there the year before me, but she couldn't play basketball, so let's not go into that. Um, but anyway, I went to college, uh, first at the Naval Academy, then I went to basketball. I played basketball at University of Rhode Island, played in NCAA tournament, and that was my life. And then I went in the business world, as you said. But then God began to deal with me and my wife, and through a long series of events, 
Um, we ended up in downtown Brooklyn in this rundown building you referenced with less than 20 people. Uh, no crack then, but lots of heroin, which we're seeing a resurgence of now. And um, lots of alcoholism, prostitution on either corner, one block away as you left our building. It was so depressing a situation with the handful of people we inherited, and some of them were certifiable, it seemed, and didn't know what to do. Um, we didn't want to go to church on Sunday, and that's not good when you're the pastor. You all understand that, right? Uh, but it's very discouraging. But uh, breakthroughs with God along the way, an experience that I mentioned in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire on a boat in Florida, where the, made, the Lord made real to me at least the path that he wanted me to take and Carol. And uh, we began to stress the prayer meeting as the barometer of the church, as the engine, as Spurgeon called it, the engine of the church that would drive and produce spiritual results rather than just numbers, because you can today in America get numbers without God anywhere near it. And we couldn't do that in downtown Brooklyn because it's not in the culture to go to church. Uh, where we were. So we um, slowly, surely, preaching, praying, plotting, battles, mountains, valleys. Hey, that's the ministry, right? It's just one problem after another and God comes along and helps you. So it grew and we went to different buildings and now we're in a building. I was just sharing back in the green room, we're in a building. It's a theater that was built in 1917. We've been there 15 years. Uh, 4,100 seats when it was built. It was the largest theater in North America when it was built. And we restored it to the way it looked like in 1943 because we were trying, thinking about making it a church, but my wife and I and other leadership said, hey, it is what it is. It's a theater, so let's just make it what it was. And we meet every Sunday, yesterday, 9, 11, and 1. And my wife's choir, she's, now she's the really talented one, um, she can't read or write music. She's won six Grammy Awards with her choir. And at the next to the last presidential inauguration, uh, the choir made up of downtown Brooklyn, New York City people, doctors and lawyers next to former crack addicts and you name it, uh, they sang in front of one billion people uh, at that uh, inauguration. And they sang yesterday, uh, sang yesterday, really was, were a great blessing. And my wife still can't read or write music. And um, the joke in our church is she doesn't know what she's doing. She just keeps doing it every Sunday, which is a, a real blessing to us. So learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes. There's nothing probably that anybody in this room has faced or is facing that I couldn't empathize with. And that's why I usually don't push my body too many places at, with the stress that's already on me in New York and traveling overseas. But to talk to ministers, that's another thing. Because like priests, like people, um, it's, it's hard being a pastor. And um, I'm here to encourage you as best I can today. That's beautiful. You know, we're, our theme is now, uh, there's no greater time, we believe, in the history of the world for spiritual leaders than right now. And uh, of course, your acumen and 
example of spiritual leadership at Brooklyn Tabernacle. You've been there since, uh, I guess, 1972, 73, 73 almost 44, 45 years. Uh, what, what does it mean to be a spiritual leader in, in your mind? And what can you say to us uh, when, when you encourage spiritual leaders today? That's a hard question. It's a, I don't think of that very often because I'm so busy facing the next challenge uh, that I don't think of leadership and so on and so forth. Um, I'm a reactor in the sense of, I, I think I could prove that in the book of Acts, Paul, the apostles, they were reactors to what God was doing, where an open door came. Then you go through it. Oh, someone got saved. Oh, someone asked you to write a book. Oh, God opened this. Oh, we can rent Radio City Music Hall. Let's do it. Uh, oh, we can rent Madison Square Garden. We did that. Let's do an outreach and start other churches around the city. Let's start churches elsewhere. Look, God raised up somebody in the church by the Holy Spirit who feels a call to Haiti. Let's send her out and a feeding program results. So I, I, I have no five-year plan. I'm trying to figure out what to preach next Sunday, to be quite honest with you. But I have no five-year plan or three-year plan. And I, I think a lot of that is bogus. Uh, that's that's corporate, por corporate world coming in and invading the church. And uh, so... We're, we're, we're getting corporate think, and most books on leadership are not biblical principles to me. They're, they're, they're corporate world principles, Steve Jobs and all of that, and let's mimic him. I don't wanna mimic him at all. I wanna mimic the Apostle Paul. I wanna be like Peter. I wanna see God come and change lives. So I, I think in terms of leadership today, we got to get back in tune with the Holy Spirit and ask him to lead us and guide us in the way we should go because Christianity is shrinking in America. Most denominations are shrinking in America. They're at zero growth. And we can dance with that and do faith talk or we can face it like you do in basketball, you know, when you're getting beat down and the team, you're losing 38 to 12 and the coach calls a timeout. You don't say, but aren't our uniforms nice? Look at the gold uh, trim on it. No, you say, we're getting a beat down here. What can we change? And I think the leaders now in America, we spiritual leaders, we have to get back to the Bible and get back to the way the apostles led the church because when I hear people with a vision for leadership or vision for the church, I say quite often, I'm gonna be very frank. I can be frank here, right? Total transparency. I say, what, what, how, who gave you the right to get a vision for the Christian church? Did you die on a cross? Did you raise again from the dead? No, you didn't. So Jesus is the head of the church and he put the Holy Spirit in charge. The only one supposed to be running the Brooklyn Tabernacle is not Jim Symbol. it's supposed to be the Holy Spirit. He, because Jesus, yeah, let's all say amen to that, I think. So Jesus put the Holy Spirit in charge of the church. We need to hear from him, be led by the word of God and be the kind of leaders that Paul and Peter and James and John were. And um, that I think is the clarion call as I travel around the country and around the world, 
That's the great cry. You know, I was with Rabbi Zacharias in Hong Kong uh, some time ago ministering to underground pastors from uh, China, um, half of whom had served time, been in prison for Christ. I felt totally unworthy to speak to them. China has the fastest growing Christian church in the world. Think of that. And what do they have? PowerPoint? No. Smoke and mirrors? No. Fancy conferences? No. What do they have? Jesus, the Bible, the power of the Holy Spirit, prayer meetings to beat the band. And guess what? Nothing's changed. When God's people pray and we lift up Christ, God does great things. That's how we have to lead today. You mentioned some Bible characters. Who in, in relationship to you over the course of the years has emulated maybe a, some spiritual leadership qualities that have made a difference in your life? Family member, a particular someone you've read? Well, I've, I have a library of three, 4,000 volumes uh, because Bible school to me has been books over the years and I'm still digging and searching because no one ever learns the Bible. You're just always searching, amen? And we're trying to learn more about it. So there are names, illustrious names of men and women of God whose lives I've studied and whose writings have touched me. Um, and um, uh, Andrew Murray, Charles Finney, the life of Moody, the life of General Booth and his wife um, have struck me because they went against the flow. They went against the flow. They, they broke into areas in God and set a new paradigm of spiritual leadership. And then uh, many, many others, and then people, uh, my late father-in-law and others who have meant a lot to me, ministers um, like my late friend David Wilkerson, he had an impact on me because I heard him when I, when I was in college. And before he died, we, we became close friends. I said to him, you know, Brother Dave, I really appreciate you. At that time, he was not feeling well and his wife was very sick, Gwen. Because you did it. You did it. You know, some people talk about it. Some people are great communicators and they finesse. But there's very few who do it. You know, Nikki Cruz got saved. There was a breakthrough in the gang culture. People stopped shooting up heroin and you did it in, in your own way. God was with you and you did it. And I, I've, um, you know, Christianity can become a lot of just talk. Just, just talk. It's just talk. It's just people with sermons and about God's going to do something great one day or their clever techniques in church. But where Carol and I are, if God doesn't help us and people don't get changed, we won't have a church. I know nothing about Oklahoma. I don't know how it is for you all. But unless God changes people radically, radically, this Oxycontin thing here now in New York City, it's totally out of control. It makes crack and heroin together look like M&Ms, eating M&Ms, uh, and worse than crystal meth. So what are you gonna do? That's where God put us. It's not easy. Many times I don't like it, but what, what am I gonna say? This is where the Lord put us. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to preach the good news of Jesus. 
And let me just say one other thing, if I could, on this matter, uh, I've been greatly influenced by, I forgot how it came to me, but um, some months, a year or two ago, I, I got an epiphany or um, a revelation. If you and I preach Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and help us in ways you can't understand. Jesus. The gospel that's in the book of Acts, not the gospel possibly you and I heard growing up, certainly not what I heard growing up. That was a mixture of a lot of stuff. But the pure gospel of Jesus, if you and I preach that, the Holy Spirit will come and help us. It's incredible. Now, if I project myself forward when I speak, if I have you know, some ego thing going where Jim Cimbala, I wanna project how clever I am, how smart I am, what a great leader I am, how I know so much, the Holy Spirit will totally back away. Now I'm on my own because the Holy Spirit was sent to only glorify Christ. Jesus said, when he comes, he will glorify me. So the moment I glorify myself in some subtle way, and you know, this is like a drug, this microphone. You can just, some, I know people in New York, they have 10 people for the last 40 years. They don't care. As long as they can hear themselves talk every Sunday, they're very, they're very content. But if you want to really see something get done by the power of God, right? Now, if I project the Brooklyn Tabernacle, again, the Holy Spirit will just say, no, I'm, I'm done with you. you. You're on your own now. You talk. I didn't come to glorify Brooklyn Tabernacle or a denomination or five-point Calvinism, or Pentecostal distinctives, I was not sent to glorify any of that. I was sent to glorify Jesus. Now you preach Jesus, I will come and help you. Come on, let's say amen to that, that's the truth. Yeah, that, that's so good. How well we need to be reminded of that, amen? And you talked about uh, struggling through just to determine what you're going to preach next Sunday. But I heard not too long ago uh, of a revelation you had about preaching and about studying and preparing for Sunday. Can you unpack that? Yeah, well, you know, um, my, my sermons were so bad when I began, I fell asleep while I was preaching, not, not, just, not just the people who were listening to me. Um, but seriously, you know, uh, I want to win for Christ. I want God to use my life. I don't want to be just faithful. Never wanted to be just faithful. Early on in the ministry, I asked God one time walking alone in this building, knowing three or four would come to the prayer meeting at night. God, if you're not going to use me, if you're not going to show me how to preach, if you're not going to help me, if you're not going to empower me, then take my life. I don't want to live. I wasn't being melodramatic. It came out of my mouth. I was all alone. I had a Chrissy, my oldest girl, who's, uh, she and her husband pastor in some AG church in uh, Chicago. Uh, I knew God could take care of Carol and my, my daughter, but I just didn't want to, because I've been watching that all my life, just shuffling, talking, praise God, hallelujah, and nothing, ain't nothing happening much that will really glorify Christ. And I want to do that. I don't want to do that. So um, I used notes. I started learning how to preach, uh, I think, 
a certain way, and that's fine, and I had notes, and it would help me and all that. But about nine years ago, Brother Darren, um, I was alone with the Lord. I was beat down. I was drained. I was traveling too much. Didn't have the wisdom of a slug in terms of my schedule at that time, and was just wasted. You ever get wasted? I'm not getting an amen, but <laughs> forgive them. They're lying, Father. Uh, and um, discouraged. You ever get discouraged? Yeah. So whatever, financial uh, pressures. So I locked myself away in a room in the attic of the house we were living in. Then I live now um, for the last five years, a block and a half from the church in downtown Brooklyn. It's a different season and we so enjoy it. So I locked myself away and I, I told the Lord, look, I, I, I'm, I put a big print NIV on my lap. I didn't even have the faith to pray. I mean, I could have said words, but I didn't have faith to pray. So I just read, waited, read, meditated, spent seven hours more, seven hours, let's say, with the Lord. Didn't eat, just used the restroom, came back, prayed. Then began to praise him, sing, pray for different needs. Well, sometime in all of that, the Lord baptized me in something I had never experienced. I said out loud, as he's my witness listening to me talk to you all, I said, what is this? And the best I could sense was he was baptizing me with his peace. You know, we preach about peace. But the peace of God, it passes all understanding. There's levels of peace, just like there's levels of power and levels of love. So as I was just waiting before him, weeping like a baby, but tears of joy, I felt the Lord speak to me to preach. This is eight or nine years ago. Don't preach with notes. That's strange. An idea so strong in my heart. Stop preaching with notes. There's nothing wrong with notes. Not only have the greatest preachers in the world preach with notes, but it used to be back in the day, they would memorize their sermons word for word. So I said, oh God, wow, I've never done this before. Now I've been doing it for nine years. So what does it change in me? Number one, it's changed that I have to spend much more time in the Word of God. Because when you have notes with all the software now and, and all the Greek helps and all the books on preaching and all that, you can really cheat. And you can get three points and a conclusion together, but it, it ain't all that. It's not gonna touch anyone. It doesn't even touch you. So... Um, but remember, as we, I was saying back in the room, if you preach from your head, you'll reach people's heads. If you preach from your heart, you can reach people's hearts. I mean, God, Jesus chose fishermen to be the first preachers and leaders of the church. Who do you think they trusted in when they got up there to preach? I mean, give me a break. A seminary a degree, uh, uh, clever principles of how to speak and communicate and make, uh, you know, make... Um, connection with the audience, tell a joke and all of that. Do you think, do you think Peter knew what the first thing about that? But I noticed when he preached that first sermon, a few people got saved. How many say amen? amen. So 
So now, what it's meant to me, and I, I say this to all of you, maybe to encourage you, I have to spend much more time with the Lord and with his word because I have to be immersed in God's word. Because I don't know exactly what I'm saying when I get out there. I have a mental idea and I have a text and it'll be up on the screen, sometimes multiple texts, but, but I have in my heart. But what it's done to me is it's made me to make less points. I was, maybe you are too, I was making too many points. Were they biblical? Yes. Were they right? Yes. Were they godly? Yes. Did the people really get them? No. Because people have learning disabilities. I don't know where you are. I'm telling you where I am. People are struggling. They're dropped out of school. They were smoking weed all day long just two years ago. So uh, I make less points, but that's better. Because anytime you hear a guy say, point nine, you know, forget that sermon, nobody's gonna remember that. <laughs> point nine, I can't remember one or two, right? So I make less points and it's more on just one theme, which I'm trying to build up and hit and get words from God. Number two, besides praying more, being with the Lord more and in the word more, I am totally out there in terms of application. So every time I start, I say, Holy Spirit, whatever you bring to mind, I'm gonna say if you don't want me to say it. or the See, the hardest part of preaching is application. Look, you can do a little study on the life of Elijah and all of that and principles and all that, but you gotta get to Jesus. You gotta get to Jesus. Let me say that again, because I wanna burn so many sermons I've preached. How could it be that you, how would Peter, James, and John ever preach a sermon about anything else but Jesus. Just tell me how that could happen. Oh no, I'm doing a series in Joshua. Look, do whatever you want, but get to Jesus very quickly because there's life only in his name. Yeah, am I correct or not? All right, the demons only tremble when you say what? Holy, 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 creator God, Jehovah Jireh. When do they tremble? Just one name, Jesus. There's life only in his name. Every other picture of God, Martin Luther said, is of the devil. Every other image or portrayal of God is of the devil, except in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the image, the exact representation of the invisible God. What does God feel about children? Look at Jesus. What does God feel about women? Look at Jesus. What does God feel about Caesar? Look at Jesus. Jesus is our message. There's only life in his name. So I've asked dear friends, some retired and still writing books like Warren Wiersbe, but David Jeremiah was speaking for me this Sunday and Tony Evans and other friends of mine, Ravi Zacharias, we've talked. You can make a beautiful sermon and never get to Jesus. And now there's a guy in the balcony just tested positive HIV, thinks he has a death sentence, and now he goes home and he heard principles of better living or how to get along better with your uh, you know, garage mechanic. Pastor, pastor as life coach. You know all the silliness that's invaded the church now. It's very spiritually effeminate, it really is. It doesn't get to the real core. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our Lord. Can we say a loud amen to that? So, now I'm, I'm not telling any of you know how to preach you, I can out preach me. But I'm saying, whatever our subject, wherever we start, could you please get to Jesus? Could you please? Because 
Everything else, according to Hebrews, is, is the old covenant. It's all passed away. How in the world is Moses going to help Tito from the Bronx who's smoking weed all day? How in the world would he get help? No, he needs to hear about Jesus, the spirit, the blood, the cross. He's coming again. Jesus. So I've simplified my preaching. I think it's better. God will judge that. But I, we're seeing more fruit. We had during Easter season, almost a thousand people come forward to receive Christ through our Easter presentations. Wait. And now we're going to baptize them. And, and uh, so that thing that God dealt with me about that I'm not recommending to any of you, you, you have to find out the way God wants you to do it. But here's one thing I want to say. Please never copy anyone. God never uses echoes. He only uses voices. This whole thing with, with um, um, model churches, uh, paradigms, following leadership, here's my leadership. How do you know God wants you to be like that? You have a different personality. I have a different personality. You know, if you don't do home groups, this is years ago, you don't do home groups, you're not even doing church. Home groups, how in the world are people going to go in the neighborhoods where the people that Carol and I were pastoring live? The cops don't want to go there. How are you going to get a home group going? Is that funny? I didn't even know that was funny. Is that funny? No, for real. Is that funny? No, but, but then I meet these people who say, unless you do it this way, you're not doing church. Oh, get out of here, would you please? I'll go Brooklyn on you if you keep talking like that. Um, just do, look, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Don't tell me your methodology. Where's the beef? We want to see fruit. We want to see prayer meetings where people are fighting to get into them. I was telling someone we have a prayer meeting of over 1,000 people or more, sometimes 2,000 on a Tuesday night. The prayer meeting begins at 7. The doors open at 5. You come to New York in case you think I'm exaggerating. At 20 to 5, there's sometimes 40, 50 people in the lobby waiting to get in the prayer meeting. I didn't do that. That's God, the Holy Spirit. How in the world am I going to get someone to come at 20 to 5 for a meeting at 7 p.m.? I don't have that kind of power or influence or cleverness. We want to see, like Tozer said, am I going too far? It's like Tozer said, if you can, ex listen, it's like Tozer said, if you can explain a church, something's wrong. If you can explain a church with these little formulas and Mickey Mouse principles that have been totally invaded the church. That's why, look, because I won't talk about this tonight, but let's talk straight. Can we talk real straight today? Okay. Why do you think most churches don't have prayer meetings? But my house shall be called the house of prayer. And God says men ought, Jesus said men ought always to pray and not faint. And uh, God answers prayer and all of that. My house shall be called the house of prayer. Okay. Now how come you don't have a prayer meeting? Why? We all know why. Because nobody will come. Come on, let's talk, do, let's do, as they say in Brooklyn, real talk. Let's do real talk. So if you have 400 on Sunday, it feels kind of defeated that 18 show up on a weeknight. But then wouldn't it behoove all of us to say, what are we producing that nobody wants to come and pray? 
If God is waiting at the throne of grace to give out free mercy and free grace, why in the world don't people want to come and be a part of that? Am I building a, a church other than Christian? Is it some kind of American hybrid version? Or is it the kind of church that was born in a prayer meeting? When Peter got arrested, they shut down everything and they prayed. Paul says, first of all, I want men and women everywhere to lift up holy hands and pray. Not a house of preaching, not a house of praise and worship. Those are very important things. But don't you realize God is waiting to do beyond what we could ask or think. What we don't want written over our churches is you had not because you asked not. You could have had everything from me, but you wouldn't take the time to wait and ask and believe and hold on. So if someone here disagrees and you say, well, I, I follow a different paradigm. Look. There's no such a thing as new school. Never believe that. There's no old school. There's only Bible school. That's the only school we should be in. There, listen, whatever new ways using technology we can spread the gospel, I'm all for it. I'm not a, you think I'm in downtown Brooklyn as a dinosaur? Come on. That's a very hip uh, audience that's in downtown Brooklyn. But what I'm saying is if you take away the vitals, you take away the basics, you take away the fundals out of, fundamentals out of Christianity, what do you have? What kind of church is that? People live the same way, divorce the same way, watch the same filthy movies, they live exactly like the world does, then you gather them for an hour and I gather them for an hour at a church on Sunday and we say, praise God, look what he's doing. I don't know about that, but I don't wanna waste my life. I don't, look. I'm done here. We're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Am I right or wrong? And we're going to give an account for the quality of our work, not the quantity, not the cleverness. How could you be clever when you're talking to God? Like he knows everything. He's not going to look at anybody and go, yo, that was really special what you did down there. <laughs> I tell people, look, when... I, my book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, one book of the year. They're doing a 20th anniversary now, issuing a new one and all of that. I didn't go to the presentation ceremony. My schedule didn't permit, but they sent me a certificate, book of the year. When Jesus comes, what am I going to do? Show him my certificate? He wrote the Bible. I don't think Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire is, <laughs> is all that. But what I can show him are people whose lives have been changed. David Ruffin just spoke for me a few Sundays ago. He came in as a filthy drunk laying in his own urine outside the building. The next thing you know, years later, he was an associate pastor of an Assembly of God church in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Now there's something I can show Jesus. But what, my building? He's gonna burn up all the buildings. Am I correct or not here? So come on, brothers and sisters, why I'm here today is we could do better. Couldn't God do better through us? How many here, don't you want to preach better? How many want to preach better? Come on, lift up your hand. You want to preach better. I, I mean, not cleverly. Paul says, for my message came to you not with wisdom and cleverness of speech, but with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean yelling in the mic and doing Pentecostal culture. I have no time for that. You have no time for that. It's too late now. We, it's too late. We can't play those games. We got to have the real deal. We got to have God. But we don't have to beg him. We don't have to please, please God help us. We're representing Christ. He's going to help us. 
So once again, big, big thank you up to Pastor Jim Cimbala up in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you for joining us at the Century Leadership Conference of 2017. You were truly, truly a blessing. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Century underscore Leader. You can also check out Century Leadership on Facebook, as well as visiting our website, centryleadership.com, for more details. That's it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Jordan Matthew Ward, signing off. Until next time.